Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one. Happy to be here another day. Oh, what a wonderful day this is, y'all. You know, this is one of my favorite places to be. I love coming here and just sharing information with you guys, answering questions, and just growing this community. I love it, I love it, I love it. So do not limit us hanging out here. Meet me on any of my social media pages. All the links can be found in my show notes at the bottom of this page. And guess what, y'all? We are continuing with the What Is It series. So far, we have covered what is a stuttering disorder? What is a speech sound disorder versus delay? What is a voice disorder? What is apraxia? What is a preschool language disorder? What is a learning disability? Last week, we started on what is autism. And today we are going to continue with that train. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We are going to be talking signs and symptoms today of autism. What are the signs? What are the symptoms? What can I expect? Last week, we talked about accompanying disorders. I gave you a few historical facts. The inner nerd came out of me, y'all. We talked about quality of life. We talked about effects. We talked about what it looks like. We talked about how to help. We talked about everything that has to do with how we can tool ourselves up, even down to how we can reframe our thoughts around different diagnoses and have a little bit of empathy and and just make sure that we're pushing to purpose because that is what we do here, y'all. So check out that episode if you have not done so. If you haven't checked out past episodes, what are you waiting for and what have you been doing? Please go to my website at www.iheartspeechtherapy.com or you can find me on your favorite podcast station. So y'all, I mentioned this a little bit last week that, and it was at the end and I think I was going on a little bit of a tangent. I felt all tangenty last week. We'll see how I'm feeling today, but I know for sure, like I was there. I was going off on a tangent on the kids too during homeschooling day. I even gave Mahana a little bit of taste of her own medicine. She had been acting a little bit, I don't know, semi-teenager-ish. And so I, I acted like her. And, and gave her a little bit of, of herself. And um, by the end of the day, she definitely was the Mahana we all know and love again. So <laughs> I've been on a roll. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here are some facts for you guys. Children with autism look no different than sugars undiagnosed. And so we, again, we gotta be careful y'all about how we judge people in public because we be thinking we have all the answers on how people should raise their kids. And we live in the cheap seat zone because we do not know the family dynamics. We do not know what in the world is going on. We all know when a child needs to be disciplined, but we don't always know why and the what behind it. And so before you give the side eye, just know that our sugars who do have that diagnosis may just behave a lot different in public. And so, don't be surprised. Please just be careful because those world changers who are working with these sugars day in, day out, they've got enough on their hand. The last thing they need is some judgment from us. Autism can range between gifted to severely challenged. I talked about this last week to where you can have a diagnosis of autism and be more on that low end of the spectrum 
Um, if we're pulling out that ruler again, you'd be somewhere in the one on the one side. And no, it is not quantified, but I just like visuals. And so if you were looking at a ruler, it would be on the lower end, that gifted side, all the way to severely challenged to where maybe there's some mental retardation. Maybe there's some intellectual disabilities. Like there's all kinds of things that can happen to where you end up on that severe side. Maybe there is an accompanying disorder or diagnosis that comes along with autism that really just kind of impacts their ability to thrive in a way that we would want them to thrive. And so again, that's why it's a spectrum because a spectrum is a range and it can go from low to high or mild to severe. Um, In my world, we say mild, moderate, severe. Another fact, daily needs can range from none to lots of help. And it really, again, it's a spectrum. It really depends. And some sugars have some areas to where they do really fabulous and other areas to where they need a lot of help. And I'm not talking about like across the board. I'm talking about just like one specific area that they need more support than the other areas. They're they're just functioning just fine. And that happens in a lot of cases. And that's where we tool those sugars up in the areas that they need the support. And finally, did you know that sugars with a diagnosis of autism can live a normal life? There is an artist in New York who does amazing work. Oh my gosh, his work is beautiful. I wish I would have looked up his name. It escapes me, but he is an artist. And I mean, his stuff, he makes me look like Crayola, y'all. It's just, he is ridiculous. And he has a diagnosis of autism. There is another sugar, I believe, who is in the South, who is on a football scholarship with a diagnosis of autism. There is Temple Grandin, um, Grandlin. I hope I said her last name right. She's been around for years, Dr. Temple Grandlin. She is amazing. And she's actually contributed so much to the field. And did you notice I said her name is Dr.? Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying that it depends. Again, it's a spectrum. It depends on where sugar falls. So can these sugars live normal lives? Absolutely, yes, they can live normal lives. They can get married, have kids, have a career. It just depends on the amount of support they receive when they were young and the level of severity. And so you guys, again, when we hear this diagnosis, I do not want you guys to discount this community because they are amazing people and some of the brightest thinkers I've ever seen. And I'm telling you, that's why we're here to debunk these myths about this. And again, all of this information I'm giving you guys will be found in my show notes because this is not my own personal information, but I do work with it day in and day out. And I know this population really, 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 really well. And funny enough, in grad school, I was so scared of the label (laughs) that I was like, I'll never work with this population. I, I just, I was reading a book and had no clue. And it's not until you get into a room and have some real experience to where you're like, I was totally just silly. Oh my gosh. Ugh. I love these little sugars. They are, I'm telling you when they work hard, they're little, oh man. Some of the most rewarding work has been with this population. That is where I'll end that. Anyway. Last week, again, we covered the breakdown of the diagnosis. We broke down how we can relate to sugars who already have the diagnosis or if we suspect a sugar has the diagnosis. But today, again, we're going to cover the red flag behavior stuff. And red flag behavior is just that. If you see a red flag, 
That means either get out of the way, stop, do something. Attention needs to be made because, well, we need to do something a little bit different. And that's all it simply means. Red flag behaviors means that this stuff is happening and we probably need to seek out some support to do something a little bit different. So here are some possible red flag behaviors. A sugar with a possible diagnosis. And I'm going to use that. I'm going to throw that word around a lot because I'm not diagnosing anybody over podcast. World changers, you cannot diagnose anybody over podcast. You have to go see your pediatrician. Your pediatrician will then make a referral for a developmental pediatrician. And from there, from there, a diagnosis will come. Your speech therapist, if sugar is already seeing a speech therapist, a speech therapist might say, hey, I suspect something's going on here. We need to get some additional support. Let me talk to your pediatrician (laughs) and get this ball rolling. Let's get sugar tested. Or if sugar is in school, then the speech therapist or the, um, the teacher or somebody's gonna flag the psychologist on campus and say, hey, I think this sugar needs to go through an assessment and then an assessment will take place. I'm just giving tools for us to recognize if this is happening. This is not a diagnosis. All right, (laughs) y'all. So if we're looking at red flags, these are some of the things that we may see. Sugar may not be responding to their name by 12 months of age. I mentioned this last week that we could recognize signs and symptoms pretty early. And by 12 months, if they're not responding to their name, that's a red flag not pointing at objects to show interest. Like if they're not pointing to an airplane flying over because it's loud and it's noisy, if they're not doing that by 14 months, that's a red flag behavior if they're not showing attention to, because guess what? They're four months away from showing us everything that is interesting to them. And so if they're not showing us stuff when they're getting prepared to be showing us everything, we wanna, we're, we're a little concerned about that. The sugar may not play pretend games or pretend to feed a baby doll or pretend to feed mommy and daddy or pretend to feed the dog or the other animal around there by 18 months because those play skills are starting to evolve from them going from that cause and effect, but also to doing things to and manipulating other things around them in a way that they have observed themselves. Mommy's been feeding them all this time and now they want to pass it on, feed that baby doll. So if we don't see that by 18 months, then that is a red flag behavior. Avoiding eye contact and wanting to be alone a little bit too much, more than normal, more often than not. And not just a quiet, cute little shy baby because some little sugars are just so cute and shy and they just they just want to kind of hang out there that, that sugar that, you know, they'll come and go as they please. Um, but it just, it's different with this population because they're trying to avoid you. They're trying to avoid that communication with you. And that's what makes it a little bit different than sugars who are just a little bit more passive and a little bit more shy. Having trouble understanding other people's feelings or talking about their own feelings. Maybe instead of using their words, they're using their behavior. Maybe if their little buddy fell down, instead of like seeing if they're okay or asking if they're okay, they start laughing. 
Or if somebody's crying, they might not get it. Or if they hit somebody, they might not understand why they're crying or or why their feelings or emotions change. They may have a hard time interpreting that. That is a big telltale sign. We expect sugars to react to feelings pretty young. Um, If you look at an infant, if you change your facial expression a few times while you're looking at them, while you're having your little goo goo gagas and they're in your face and you're in their face and you change your face and like do a mad face like and make a sound, tell me their body doesn't change. Tell me their demeanor doesn't change. And so at some point we expect our sugars should show some kind of awareness when feelings go from one feeling to the next. Having delayed speech and language skills, they may not be using that single word by 12 months. They may not have those 10 words by 18 months. They may have those words, but they may not be using them with you. Or they may have some kind of variation of sound that's not characteristic of English or Spanish or Mandarin or Cantonese or any other language. Or maybe they're using it, but they're not using it with you. That is a red flag. Or if you hear them talking more when they're in their room playing with their toys more than what they're talking to you. And then you come in there and you say something to them and they just go quiet on you. That's a red flag behavior. Repeating words and phrases over and over and over and over again. We call that echolalia. But that is definitely a telltale sign if they're saying the same word and the same phrase and they won't stop even after you acknowledge it then we usually want them to go to the next thing. Can you imagine if I kept saying car? And you're like, yeah, okay, a car. Car. Okay, a car. I, I, I got you, baby. Thank you for telling me that. Car. I see the car. It's a beautiful car. Car. And then it just keeps going on. But it usually happens a little bit faster. Car, 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 and car, car. But it's not like I'm showing you a car. That's just kind of what they're saying because that's the word that they've kind of gotten looped into. Giving unrelated words or answers to questions. Ooh. Oh man, what are you doing? Go play. What are you playing? Monster. Look, monster. And so when we see like that deflect or they answer something else, or they answer something that doesn't quite make sense and it's not in context and it's happening and they're not being silly, but it's like happening more often than not, that is a red flag behavior. This is a big one, getting upset by minor changes. This is a nice way of saying transitions, getting from one thing to the next thing. And it's not even just with daily schedule stuff. It can be something like mom made spaghetti tonight and she snuck in a new vegetable that they don't recognize. And so maybe they're picking through their plate and picking out every little bit of that vegetable, or maybe they're just outright refusing it. Or maybe it's a schedule thing to where instead of you giving them a bath first, you want to give them a story first. Or maybe instead of going to the daycare, you guys went to the store first or something along those lines to where it was something that was consistent and it was changed and they didn't like it. Or it can be something like I went out to the park and I can't get you to go from one thing to the next. And that means simply like we're at the park, park time is over, let's go home. And sugar is like, he sugar is just refusing and they become excessively upset to the point to where 
either world changers get used to it, immune to it, or they're just like, I don't even know how to cope with this or start avoiding doing certain tasks or doing it outside of what sugar is used to. Another thing may be obsessive interest, light switches, door handles, traveling up and down stairs, opening and closing doors, car doors over and over and over again, cabinets, opening and closing cabinets over and over and over again, crashing cars together over and over and over again, building blocks the same way, knocking them over. And it happens the same way every single time. Or you may see lining items up. And when they try to, like, if you try to remove one of those lined up items, it's the war has started and oh my gosh, and we don't, don't do it. And so those are some of those obsessive interests and those obsessive uh, behaviors, maybe reading the same story over and over and over again, singing the same song over and over and over again. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. And that's a lot of times that repetitious behavior that I talked about in episode one. Flapping their hands, rocking their body or spinning in circles. The hand flaps usually happens when the arms are on their side. And the rocking body, you might see them sitting down and they're going back and forth. And funny enough, they did not mention this one. Again, this is not my information. Um, I got this from the CDC and it will be in the show notes. I'm not a plagiarist, (laughs) y'all. But um, another one that they did not mention, that's a big one, is toe walking. Toe walking is a huge one where you see sugar like walking on their toes and it looks like they are trying out for um, the ballet or it looks like they're wearing stilettos. They are not wearing stilettos. They are sensory seeking and that is a red flag behavior. Spinning in circles is another one. I'm actually gonna add a few more to this. Running back and forth over and over again, running into things over and over again, like you may see them. And this kind of falls into like the repetition to where they will run into the couch 50 times and you'll try to stop them and it doesn't quite work out the way that you expected it to. And your couch is probably suffering because it's been jumped on so much or bed or whatever the case may be. But spinning in circles, rocking the body, hand flapping, toe walking, those repetitious behaviors to where it looks like they just never quite calm down. And they go from like full wide awake to just sleep because their body is going from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed and it just crashes. (laughs) And the final red flag behavior, unusual reactions to the way things sound. I hear a lot about vacuums, hair blow dryers, airplanes, or not just the loud sounds, the stuff you wouldn't even hear or think to hear something off in the distance, the hum of the air conditioner, Mm -hmm. the fan in the computer, things like that, smell, whether it's a big smell or a little smell, how things taste, if the texture is not right, if it looks, if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't smell right. And this usually has to do with food or like Play-Doh or different toy textures to where it just doesn't look right or smell right. But with food, it usually doesn't smell right, look right. And so they're not going to taste it or they don't like the texture. Even if it tastes right, the texture ain't right. And so that's going out the mouth wherever to wherever it's going to go. And the final one is feel right. 
I talked about this in episode one on what is it autism, or excuse me, what is it autism spectrum disorder? If the clothing does not feel right, if it does not have the right material, if there are seams touching, socks are usually a big issue. Shoes are usually a big issue, especially if sugar likes to walk on their toes because they're looking for that sensory input and shoes get in the way of sensory processing for them. And so you might see them take off some stuff because they just don't want it. And so there's a lot of compromise that comes out of that with world changers trying to keep sugar in clothes, in their shoes, comfortable so they can navigate through the world around them. Because after a certain age, unfortunately, they cannot go without clothes. The next sign that we look at is the social skill piece. That's the pragmatic piece, how we relate to the world, how we use language to relate to the world. But it's not just the language, y'all. It's also the nonverbal language. We use so much nonverbal language. It is insane how much we rely on not just our words, but our body movement and our facial expressions and how we react to other people and their facial expressions. It's definitely telling. And it's not just shyness. It's to the point to where it really impacts how they get along throughout the day. And so some examples of some social difficulties with this population is they're not responding to their name. And we just talked about that with red flag behaviors, but this is such a big deal because our name is how the world connects with us. They say our name, we turn around, we look, we listen, and we respond. And so if they're avoiding their name, then they're avoiding that connection, right? And a lot of times this happens because that social interaction piece is just too much. And it's not that they don't know their name, it's just they're avoiding the interaction because a lot of times they're either attending or focusing or they're just unsure of what the transaction is going to be. Another one, and I've mentioned this one before, eye contact avoidance. Think about it. When you're about to talk to somebody, what do you do? You look at them. Then you talk and then they talk back and you keep looking at each other, talking to each other. And a lot of times if you look away or that person looks away, it's because they're avoiding you or you're avoiding them or the conversation's over or something along those lines. And so if sugar is avoiding eye contact, then they're avoiding trying to attend to what you're saying, attend to that interaction, or it's just too much for them to interpret. And so it's easier because sometimes our sugars have a hard time visually putting the face together or it's just too much to focus on. So maybe they're looking at our forehead or maybe they're looking off to the side, but that is definitely a social cue that they try to avoid in some cases. Preferring to play alone. This is not just happening at home with mom and dad. This behavior is usually also seen in school. It's seen across populations and a telltale sign is if sugar is still little and still smells like cookies, we're talking about 36 months and under, and you notice that they really like playing with the older kids and really don't like playing with the little kids, that's for a reason. Because between those ages, those little sugars aren't sharing no toys. They haven't established that skill yet. And so with the bigger kids, they have established that skill. And because sugar is little and cute, the big kids are more likely to give in to the little kids. And so for a sugar who has a diagnosis of autism, this is like, winner, winner, chicken dinner, because 
they're going to get their way. More often than not, they're going to get their way um, unless a, a world changer has tooled sugars up around them and been like, uh-uh, you can't always let them have their way. You're going to have to <laughs> have to figure out a way to make a little bit more reciprocity in the play so they can build up that skill. Another thing that we would see as a social communication flag would be they're not interested in sharing stuff with others, sharing their ideas, sharing their thoughts, sharing their stuff that goes back into the play. It's just too difficult to make that shift from this is mine to that is yours. Maybe there's not the understanding there, or maybe it is the object permanence to where like, oh my gosh, if I give you this thing, am I ever going to see it again? Am I ever going to get it back? Are you taking this thing away from me forever? That's a scary thing for these sugars because they don't always know or don't always understand. And so we have to model over and over and over again and give those verbal assurances that, hey, we're not trying to take from you. We're trying to add to it. And a lot of times they thaw out and it's it becomes not so much of a big deal, but it definitely is initially. Another social sign that we see for these sugars is they're only interacting to achieve a desired goal. It's not to play with you. It's not to become your friend. It's rarely for cuddles and hugs. They only interact for a desired outcome. It's not to hang out or to be social with you. It's usually to get something and then to be on their way. And a lot of times it doesn't have to do with their like or love for you. It always goes back to the ability to make that relation or to make that connection in a way to where it doesn't take away from their world and from what's comfortable for them. Because a lot of times it's just being comfortable and learning how to be comfortable in what's all what's not always certain. And another one is having a flat or inappropriate facial expression. Maybe there's not a lot of emotion behind the facial expression, or maybe it's, we call it a flat affect to where there's not a lot of smiles, there's not a lot of variation, something funny happened and they're not necessarily always reacting or it takes a whole lot to get a smile out of them. Like that is another sign. Um, or their facial expression is not necessarily appropriate to what took place. Like if they're laughing when somebody falls or they're crying when they should be laughing because they don't quite know how to interpret socially what is going on. Another social communication sign is um, a possible social communication sign is not always understanding personal boundaries. And so maybe they're always bumping into you or maybe they feel like they're so connected to you to where you are not getting a lot of personal space from them or they're stepping on you and didn't realize they're stepping on you and they just don't get it and don't quite understand why it's not appropriate. And it's not because they're trying to be inappropriate. It's just, again, that level of understanding and having to pay attention. And if your sensory processing is either overwhelmed or underwhelmed and you're trying to always meet those sensory needs, then it's really hard to pick up on what other people around you need and what's socially appropriate and what's not. And sometimes there's just that level of, I don't get it. And we have to fill in those gaps and help them fill in those gaps. Another red flag behavior is avoiding or resisting physical contact. Maybe they don't want hugs. Maybe they don't like to be touched. Maybe they become really upset when they get touched. Or maybe it's only happening on their terms when they feel comfortable 
with coming to you, or maybe it's only to meet a sensory need. And again, it has nothing to do with love or like, it's just them trying to figure out how to relate to the world around them. Another sign is they may not always be comforted during times of distress. And that can look like if something happens and maybe it's really trivial, a toy fell down and they start just crying like it's the end of the world. And it's like, a, oh my gosh, I'm trying to comfort them. I'm trying to make them feel better. But like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, they're still crying or they're still upset or they're still talking about it because they can't quite get out of that moment because they keep replaying it over and over and over again. That can be another sign to where they're not picking up on the nurturing side of things, right? It has nothing to do with the world changer's ability to be nurturing. It has to do with the way that they're interpreting that or unable to interpret like, oh, mom is trying to comfort me. Mom is trying to nurture me. Remember, it's a social cue. And if they're not picking up on social cues the way that they're supposed to pick up on social cues, then this can be really difficult for them. And the final red flag for social communication is difficulties understanding people's feelings or talking about their own feelings. And I mentioned this before to where feelings are, it's such an abstract thing. There has to be something that happened in order for us to demonstrate an outcome of emotion or an outcome of a feeling. If somebody says something really nice to me, then more likely than not, I'm happy. If somebody says something mean to me, then a level of me, I might get over it, and I might like brush it off, but a moment of me might get a little upset or a little bit sad. And remember again, if they can't always interpret their own feelings or sensory is in the way or attention is in the way or all these other things are in the way, then it's really hard to pinpoint what those real emotions may be. And maybe if it's a sugar who has an accompanying diagnosis, and I talked about that in episode one, maybe it's some gastro issues, some gastrointestinal issues. Well, if there's always physical discomfort and you're asking them how they're feeling, but 24 hours a day, their gut is uncomfortable because either their diet hasn't been modified or they're just, you know, world changers may not know, then they're always going to come off as a little bit cranky. So when you start talking about a range of emotions, if they always don't feel good, then it's going to be hard to interpret happy or excited if they're not always quite there or if they're feeling anxious, it's going to be hard to interpret other feelings and even understand other people's feelings. And so we have to be extremely careful before we label and talk about what we what people are presenting, because we never know what it is going on. And until we understand a little bit more about what's coming along with the diagnosis, we have to be really sensitive about how we talk about how they're reacting to us and how we interpret interpret their reaction to us because it might not be the reason that we think that it is. And maybe in some cases it is, but in most cases it is not. The final, the final, final, final area of possible red flags, signs, things that we could see with our sugars who may have a diagnosis of autism, the communication piece. Now we talked about social language. Communication has to do also with the sender or receiver, but this has to do more so with like them building up 
the language to communicate. So this is building up those skills, building up the the structure to communicate back and forth with others. And so, you know, sugars who have a diagnosis of autism, it's a spectrum. It can go on the mild end, the low end, or it can go in the middle, the moderate range, or it can be on the more severe range. It's different. Every sugar is different and it might not all be mild. It might not all be moderate. There might be areas that are strengths and areas that are weak for them. And so it just depends on each sugar. Every sugar presents different. And so some sugars can speak well, other sugars, not so much. They need a lot more support or they're not communicating a lot and need some additional support with either some picture exchange system or even with a a speaking device to help them out. It really just depends, right? And so we know that about 40% of sugars with a diagnosis of autism do not talk. And this is beyond the selective mutism. This just means that the ability to communicate, it's just not there. But that means 60% still does. And 25 to 30% of sugars who have a diagnosis of autism have some words between the ages of 12 and 18 months, they lose them. Now, here's the thing about that. Some years back, some years back, there was um, some research that I did and I found that 75% of sugars who have a diagnosis of autism, they go through these peaks and their language, they, it either goes up or it regresses or they gain language at the peak or it regresses. And this happens all the way up until three or four years of age for most sugars. And so by three or four years of age, if you have a sugar who's gaining language, losing language, gaining language, losing language, usually by three to four years of age, it's determined whether or not, and not by us or by anybody else, but they at some point will either gain more language or where they are is where they are and it might be a little bit sluggish. And our final group, they may speak, but maybe not until later. And we have a lot of those sugars to where it's not until four or five or six to where they really start communicating with us. And so some examples of some communication issues related to autism, and I really don't like that word issue. I would just say the gap. There's a gap in these areas and we need to fix it. And we need, or and not even fix it isn't even a great word for it. We need to try to tool our world changers up and and tool ourselves up to present opportunities for them. And so one of the signs is delayed speech and language skills. Speech is the sound we produce. Language is the sounds we turn into words. The words are the stuff that we use with the people. And so that might be a, a telltale sign there. I've mentioned this a few times. You guys are probably masters at this phrase now, echolalia. And that's where the sugar repeats the same word and phrase over and over and over again. And it might be something they overheard you say, or it might be something they overheard someone else say. It honestly just depends. They may reverse pronouns instead of it being I, when they're talking about themselves, they talk about themselves as you. And when you point to them as a you, they might call themselves a you. And then it just, it's confusing to separate which one is which. Am I the I or the you? Usually 
mine is is pretty solid. But when it gets into like those more complex pronouns, identifying like differences between person, it really gets hard. And mine is a lot, I think it's easier for them a lot of times. And there's, I have not looked up any science behind this is just because it talks about possession of an object. And in most cases, sugars who have this diagnosis do not want other people to possess their object. And so it's easier to be like mine. This is me. Don't touch, leave me alone. Another um, another sign is giving unrelated answers to questions. And we did talk about this before to where they may answer in a way to where it was completely unrelated to what it is that you asked or said, or maybe they don't have the answer. And so they deflect with another answer and that can happen. Or even if they have a little bit more sophisticated communication and it's difficult for them to stay on topic, maybe the answer kind of goes left because they're just unsure about what to say. They may not point or respond to pointing. So if you're trying to call their attention to something and you point out the window and they're just not looking, they're not interested in showing or in looking at what you're pointing at. And they're definitely not showing you any interest um, by pointing at what it is that they're focused on. Because again, that is one of those things to where you're inviting somebody or becoming a part of somebody else's space. And Pointing is one of those things that means that we have to pay attention together and that's a choice, right? And so another thing that we may see is them using few words or no gestures, maybe not waving goodbye. Maybe you have to prompt them to wave goodbye or say hello or high five or anything that has to do with engaging in a way to where language is being used and communicated in a way without words but it's still a transaction between two people and they may not they may not want to reciprocate that another sign is they talk in a flat robot like or sing song voice and this is not everybody it just depends on the sugar to where whatever's comfortable for them maybe they're more monotone or maybe it sounds more robotic and I, I don't have a great robotic voice. So I'm not even going to go there. Or maybe it's more of a melodic voice because that's what they learned when they were young and they just never quite shook it. And it's easier to use that. They may not pretend to play, um, may not pretend to feed the baby doll, may not pretend to drive the baby doll around the house, may not pretend to make the army men do little cool things in the car. Like it may not be one of those things that they're interested in doing. Maybe they're stuck more so on the cause and effect play, right? And that cause and effect play is when I build something up and I take something down and I build something up and I take something down, or maybe they're more interested in lining the objects up, putting them in a line and seeing what that looks like or watching the wheels on tires or something like that. And none of those really point to pretend play. Those are more so of things that they can kind of just sensory um, seek off of and kind of attend to and not come into other people's world. So that is another telltale sign. And the final one is they may not understand jokes or sarcasm or teasing. Maybe they take it literally. Maybe they just don't understand at all that it was a joke, or maybe the sarcasm is taken as something that was a true, a true threat, or they took it personal rather than it being just the person was being sarcastic as a way of kind of teasing and joking around. And so we have to be extremely careful when we're using 
different kinds of language because in our culture, we have so many ways that we play with language to where it's not necessarily straight up. And so we wanna make sure that we're being sensitive to this idea that they may not always get it or they may take it literally. And we do not want that for those sugars. So that pretty much wraps it up for like some of the signs and the symptoms that we would see with like the communication and the social language and just in general. But now we're going to talk about what we would expect with interest and behaviors, because a lot of times the interest and behaviors are different just because the way, again, that they're relating to the world is different. And so I've talked about lining up the toys lining up objects, lining up spoons, lining up whatever they could get their hands on and there's more than one, it ends up in a line. And a lot of times they just wanna hyper-focus on that one thing or it just makes sense or I haven't gotten a great answer about it, but it is definitely a sign that I've seen across the board to where the toys are lined up, the object is lined up. If I try to move it, it's war and mayhem. And so we just have to teach a better way to, um, or a different way, not necessarily a better way, but a different way to interact with the objects around them. Maybe they like to play with the same toys the same way every single time. I talked about that too, to where we're building up the blocks every single time we're knocking them over. Um, If we talk on the phone, if we're play talking on the phone to somebody, maybe it's the same thing, or maybe it's the same YouTube video, or maybe it's the same television show and not even just the same show, the same episode. Maybe it's not just the YouTube, it's the same YouTube video. Maybe it's 10 times and it's happening over and over and over again. This may even be the time that you hear the most language out of them when they're looking at that YouTube video and you're feeling like, oh, they're picking up language. Maybe they're not picking it up with me, but they're picking it up in that video. And it's not necessarily true. While they are picking up some kind of language, it's not necessarily for communicating. It's more so out of the repetitious behavior. And a lot of times the words that they're repeating, it's like echolalia, they heard it. They saw it in context and they may or may not be trying to figure out how to build it up, but it's not necessarily used with you. And a lot of times you got to think about it too. The YouTube videos that these sugars are watching, especially the nursery rhyme ones. If you're talking about like the ABCs or something like that, well, we're not necessarily using ABCs and numbers and colors to communicate with others, especially during those toddler years. And so we want to be extremely careful if we're allowing them to engage with the same video over and over and over again and the same play over and over and over again, we have to ask ourselves, are they benefiting from this or how are they benefiting from this and how is it building up to their repertoire of skills? Is this building up in a way that's really great for them or is this just something else that I see them repeating over and over and over again? We might see that these sugars are very organized. They like everything the same way every single time. They like their stuff the same way every single time. They like just things to be the same way. May not like dirt a lot. Don't like to get those hands dirty. Don't like um, their things to be moved around. They want to go to the same place and find the same thing every time or else it is mayhem smoke in the city. And the reason that is, is not because they're trying to be catty, it's because it's how they relate to the world around them. And it really helps them keep mentally organized when things are the same place every single time. And you're thinking about people who want 
things to be predictable. And if things are unpredictable all the time, it's really hard to adapt to the environment or really hard to get comfortable in that environment. And so if the blocks were in the middle shelf on row two, in the middle, the blocks need to be in the middle shelf on row two. If the puzzles are on row one, left side, by golly, they better stay on row one left side because it just makes it easier. And if there's changes that are going to take place, we need to communicate that with them because it helps them become more comfortable with it and not have a meltdown on us, not understanding why things are a different way. Another thing we might see is obsessive interest. And I talked kind of about this with like the YouTube videos to where like they're doing the same thing over and over again. Or maybe if it's not even the videos, whatever it is they're really into, they're into it to the point to where it becomes a little bit uncomfortable for the world changers around them. And you may not always understand like, why are they so stuck on this one thing? Or why is it that they're recognizing this one thing and it can be something as crazy as and and it's not crazy to them but to us it's like I don't always necessarily get it like if I had on a shirt and there were a bunch of shapes on the shirt and maybe the object of interest is hearts and there's a bunch of little hearts on my shirt you might see sugar point out the tiniest heart on my shirt or if sugar does not like a lot of dirt and maybe they're picking up specks of dirt off the floor. Or maybe they're picking up specks of things from places that you didn't even see it, but this sugar was able to see it because they want things to be neat and orderly. And it's not anything wrong with it. It's just the way that they're wired and it just needs to be a certain way. For the sugars who have the obsessive interest to the point of where it impacts their day, world changers, you got to help them out with that because as they get older in these obsessive interests, if they're not necessarily, I guess, molded in a way to where it's healthy, it can become a situation like anything else, like anything else that anyone else would struggle with. We just want to make sure that we're reshaping it and framing it in a healthy way for them. These sugars also have to follow a certain routine. They enjoy a certain routine. They enjoy things to be the same way every single time, maybe the same breakfast over and over and over and over again, or the same coat over and over and over again. And these routines, again, it has to do with having things organized and being able to be comfortable with what's going to happen next, taking away the unpredictability about things that are going to change. And so they usually like stuff to be the certain way. If I wake up every day, then I wanna brush my teeth next. After I brush my teeth, I wanna get my clothes. I wanna go downstairs. I wanna eat my breakfast. I wanna go to school. And any kind of change can definitely have an impact on how they relate and how they behave with you and with the world around them. And so we wanna be extremely sensitive to those behaviors and those interests. And the final thing that we see a lot of times when we're looking at signs and symptoms, a lot of sugars who have a diagnosis of autism or underlying diagnosis of autism, we might see some other stuff coming along with that. And these are key 
to just knowing that it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your parenting. It has nothing to do with whether you did the right or wrong thing. I always like to say it's the cards that you were dealt and now we have to figure out tools and methods and strategies to get ourselves in a position to where we're feeling like we can impact how they're reacting to us and relating to us and relating to the world around them. So these are some of the things that we could see, some other signs and symptoms. Hyperactivity. They may be super active, way overactive to the point of where you could give them an hour of park time every day and it's still not enough. You can give them five hours of park time and it's still not enough, like they still need more. Impulsivity, acting without thinking, just doing stuff and not thinking it through. And sometimes this can be extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous if they're not paying attention to what's going on in the world around them. Short attention span. It's kind of like, I like to call it the wind-up doll syndrome. You you ever seen like the wind-up doll or the wind-up toys? I have a bunch of them in my office to where you wind up the back of it and you let it go. (laughs) And it goes from one place to the next place to the next place to the next place to the next place until it just cannot anymore. And then it just shut down. And so that's a lot of times what we see in our little sugars. And it has to do with either A, something is not, the world is not organized enough. B, there's access to too many things and they're just going from thing to thing to thing because it all looks interesting. Or C, they haven't built up those attention skills to one thing because it's just hard to focus. Like it's just too hard. Maybe they're overstimulated by everything. And so they just have to go to the next thing. The next thing that we may see is aggression, physical aggression, biting, hitting, pinching, scratching, headbutting, not just others themselves. This can be where world changers have the hardest time with sugars, whether they're doing it to themselves or doing it to other people or doing it to their siblings or doing it to their peers. And the reason why is because if they're doing it to themselves, there's no world changer that I have come into contact with that would ever be excited about their sugar hurting themselves and watching their sugar hurt themselves. Because we're so connected to our little sugars, when we see them hurt ourselves, we we almost feel like we can feel it. Think about when they fall down, right? When they fall down, tell me you don't feel like you fell down with them, right? <laughs> and, and it's serious business. So when they become upset or the world becomes too much or they're just not sent, like they're hyposensitive, to the world around them and they need some input, they may not feel it the same way we feel it. Like sometimes they have a really high pain threshold to where the same fall for me and for them, I mean, I would be rolling around on the floor just looking crazy and they just get up and kind of walk away. And so that is definitely one of those areas to where like the aggression and that self-injury piece can come hand in hand. And again, it can either be to themselves or it can be towards others. And sometimes the aggression towards others has to do with, we violated a boundary that we didn't even know existed. We weren't even on the same level playing field. We had no idea that that was a no or they interpreted it in that way. And that was a big no-no and we had no idea and they reacted to us in a way to where we necessarily didn't like it 
or we let them get away with it. And then they interpreted it as funny because remember, you're talking about sugars who have a hard time interpreting emotion. And so if you laugh when a sugar hits you and they don't necessarily understand that that is inappropriate, then guess what? They're going to probably keep doing it and being aggressive in that way. And so we want to be really careful about how we allow that kind of behavior to be represented in the home. Another area, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, temper tantrums. Ooh, the tantrums. Tantrums are never fun no matter what. I have podcasted about tantrums. I have blogged about tantrums because I know tantrums can change the whole dynamic of a relationship, whether it comes from an adult or a child. And I mean, what what sets these tantrums apart is usually A, they're more frequent. B, they're longer. C, a lot of times we can't sue them. Or D, they're relying on us to make it better all the time. And it becomes to where it comes to the point to where they're so overly reliant that we end up becoming drained as world changers because they're not learning how to self-regulate their own emotions. And so we have to be really careful about how we respond to tantrums. And I would listen to the episode on tantrums if you're not sure about that and read that blog on tantrums just to understand the dynamics of that because tantrums can be a real tricky beast, y'all. Another area that we see another symptom would be unusual eating and sleeping habits. Maybe sugar eats this one food, this one food, and that's all they'll eat for weeks and months and months and weeks. And you have boxes of it and cans of it and, and it's in the refrigerator and it's in the freezer. And one day they're like, nope, outright refusing to eat it outright refusing to touch it, outright refusing to smell it, outright refusing to have anything to do with it. And you're like, what in the world happened? Why don't they want this food anymore? And then they move on into the next one. And it can be really difficult managing that because if you're like me, I cook at least twice a day and whatever's on your plate is what you're going to eat. And if you're not going to eat it, Oh my gosh, it's going to be a sad, sad day for you because I have nothing else that I'm offering you. And I know a lot of my world changers get really scared because these sugars will go on a food strike. They'll go on a hunger strike. They do not care. Like it's not the same reaction that our sugars may have when we're like, you're going to eat what I put on your plate because I said so. The same with the sleeping habit. If there's so, if it's so hard to neurologically calm down, if it's hard to get from one thing to the next, that transition, it can either be caused by the difficulties transitioning from one thing to the next, or the brain just having such a hard time making that shift to calm down and rest and have that, that frequent, frequent rest that they need. Like they need hours of sleep, especially when you're talking about the babies, like the babies usually need up to 12 hours of sleep still, including their naps. In some cases, not including their naps, like toddlers sleep a lot. And the sleep, it's so important at that age. It's not just us getting the break. It really has to do with all the data that they collected during the day is programmed when they're sleeping. The growth that's happening is happening when they're sleeping. And if they're not getting that brain recharge, that brain refresh, then it's really hard to gain new information and hold on to past information. 
And so sleeping can be a big, big deal. Unusual mood or emotional reactions. Sometimes there are sugars who have additional diagnosis that come along with a diagnosis of autism. And sometimes they just appear a little bit more cantankerous, just a little bit more grumpy because we don't know these other things that are going on and they don't quite know how to interpret it. Or maybe they react in a way to something that happened in a way we would have never expected them to respond. And it really, again, has nothing to do with us. It has to do with us not necessarily knowing or interpreting or being able to interpret what it is that they're feeling, thinking, or whatever it is they're perceiving that's causing them to feel this way. Another area is the lack of fear or more fear than expected. And this goes into like my lack of fear kids, that goes in alignment with my impulsive kids. Oh, my impulsive little hyperactive sugars, they just are not scared of anything and everything is a go. And it's a lot of times because of the awareness, the lack of awareness, not understanding or knowing that if I do this, then this is going to happen next. And then on the other end, It might be way more fear. They're scared of everything or fearful of everything, whether it's roller coasters or new people or outside or whatever it is sharing. It's just scary because they just may not know what's going to happen next. It's that inability to predict what's going to take place. And the final thing that I've talked about before, and again, you can listen to the episode on sensory processing disorder to where They may have unusual reactions to the way that things smell or sound or taste or look or feel. And I've gone over this a few times before, so I'm going to let you guys listen to the other episode just to get yourselves caught up. But those five areas can have such a dramatic impact on how sugar relates to the world. And so it's extremely important that we are sensitive to the idea that they may not understand that they may not understand how to interpret the things that are going on around them. And we really, really, really have to help them through that. World changers, this is what I need from you. If you have a sugar or know a sugar to where any of these signs or symptoms or anything that I've talked about aligns with anything on these lists, please go talk to your pediatrician. The worst that we can do is nothing. The best that we can do is find out, find out that it was nothing and we were overreacting or find out that it was something and that we need some tools to get us to where we need to go because autism is not one of those things that's going to go away. And, and I'm yet to see any diagnosis go away. And so we just want to be proactive and do what we can. If our Sugar's educator is giving us, you know, the hint, hint, like something may be going on. Please listen to them because guess what, y'all? They're looking at milestones all day. If you feel like something isn't looking right, feeling right, and smelling right, and you've gone to your pediatrician and they're just kind of telling you wait and see, please tell them you don't have time for that wait and see that you'd rather see now than find out later, especially if they're young, because we can do so much early to make things just push to progress. 
change the trajectory of things, really get in there and tool you up, world changer, and tool sugar up to where you guys just don't feel like you're relating on separate planets or you're negotiating so much to where you just don't have, it just doesn't feel like the way that it's supposed to feel. I guarantee that does not have to be the case, y'all. All right. So if you have any questions about this episode or past episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Questions can be sent to questions at I've got this or you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Those links are click away in the show notes. Also, all this information that I've given you, again, I am not a plagiarist. All of the show notes will have every link that I went to to find this information so you can also do the research for yourself. You can also go to my website at www.iheartspeechtherapy.com and join our mailing list, become a part of the community and all of the podcasts are right there waiting to be listened to, there for you to tool you guys up. We'd love to have you. We'd love for you to be part of the community, y'all. And next week, we're going to be talking about what is a cognitive disorder? I am looking forward to talking about cognitive disorders because, again, this is one of those elephants in the room that nobody ever really wants to talk about, but we're going to talk about it, y'all. We are debunking myths. I have been on a roll getting this stuff out to you guys. So please take advantage of it. Learn about it. Share it with a friend because we as a community are better together. The more we know, the more educated we we are, the more that we can tool up, advocate, and do the best that we can on our sugar's behalf. So until the next time, world changers, take care. <laughs>